On this edition of Random Assignment, how did a California local teachers union president explain why he was caught on video taking his own daughter to in-person preschool while simultaneously fighting to keep public schools closed for in-person education? Surprise, surprise. Also, how has the COVID debate enormously pivoted in Texas public schools? And the new U.S. Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, why was his letter in the USA Today newspaper called Policy Theater? All that and oh so much more in this March Madness, except Mad at the Public Schools, edition of Random Assignment. Dear listeners and viewers, what's Random going on Assignment here? Has returned. Now, my name is Bob Bowden. The other voice you're hearing is, of course, the great Corey DeAngelis. But we're looking at a graphic. Now, Corey, is this, do you understand this graphic? Is it confusing to you? What, what does this mean? Well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really make any sense, right? Why, why some parents would be able to go to in-person schooling in private schools, but not other families. Why, why, why would that be allowable, especially when the child's dad was railing against uh, the call to reopen public schools. And then he turns around and sends his own child to a private in-person setting. It seems kind of hypocritical to me. It's the name of our episode today, uh, in-person school for me, but not for thee. And the parent in question is a Berkeley, uh, a Berkeley, California teachers union president. Yes. You know, our show is called Random Assignment. This, in some ways, could be described as random kids get in-person learning based oh. on their parents' connection, right? Oh, yeah. It's not It's not uh, random, though. It's uh, the politically well, privileged and powerful uh, get to have options for their own kids. I mean, we see this in the school choice world all the time, too, where um, people who rail the hardest against school choice, including Diane Ravitch, uh, sent their own kids to private school and then want to close the door behind them to not allow other families to get the same kind of options. This is kind of a similar thing where you have choice for your kids, but not. I'm not sure if this union president was calling against school choice. I would guess this person has called against charter schools in California or school choice. Um, well, I haven't looked into it. In-person but... <laughs> education in Berkeley, in the Berkeley district, he certainly fought for continued school clo school closures while his own kid is having in-person. It's too dangerous to have... Berkeley public schools open, but this preschool is perfectly fine. And he's and he says in his defense, he says, "Well, you know, you have to understand that's different. That's a small setting. Oh. Look at that. That's why." And then to which some of our friends that online were tweeting and saying, "Oh yeah." In fact, one of our choice media story of the day commentators said, "Oh yeah." So, so in other words, if a small setting works better for a certain kid, they should have that option. Hmm. The way you do, Mr. <laughs> Teachers Union President in Berkeley, California? Anyway, all right. I guess that's our top story. Is that right? That is the top story of the week. I mean, on Twitter, all I did was share a screenshot of this. I shared a screenshot of this, and it got over half a million views, and uh, it's, I think it's up to 9,000 likes already. Because, look, the headline tells a story. We don't even really have to say much commentary beyond that. It's just people understand that this is – hypocritical behavior, and everybody should have the option of in-person learning. Uh, I would take it a step further 
to say that everybody should have the option of public versus private. I, and yes, he did try to defend himself. He also said that, well, in my area, there weren't any public providers of pre-K, so I had to do a private. So, but well, why not I mean, just does it, again? It why not have your little your little princess just log in? I'm not attacking the kid, by the way. But why not have your child just log in? Why not? Why not just do that? Isn't that fine? That's good enough. It's great. The, yeah. Yeah. Other kids in the public school. Kids are resilient. It's uh, one of the main union talking points uh, recently, which gets gets reminds me of uh, Randy Weingarten's tweet that uh, backfired on her earlier this week. May, may have been yesterday, but right, I'm well, sure I know. A second. I still okay. want to talk about the Berkeley because. We, yeah, we're still on it. As usual, as in the case <laughs> of about half, somewhere between 38 and 50 percent of the breaking news stories in the world of education i learned about first on the at deangelis Corey twitter feed that's where i learned about this one first this berkeley teachers union and it was the teachers union president too of all people not just a particular teacher who was out there typing online and you know social media uh but then local news picked it up and we actually saw television stations reporting all about this video and Thank one you. such station was uh san francisco local tv there he is dropping off his child at a preschool. At the same time, he has been a voice for keeping schools closed until all teachers have been vaccinated. KPI X5's Alan Martin with the group behind the gotcha video. Video released by the anonymous back to school advocacy group called Gorilla Moms shows a man the group says is Matt Meyer, president of the Berkeley Federation of Teachers, dropping his child off at private preschool. Meyer and the union have been staunchly fighting for students to return to full-time in-person instruction only after teachers have been vaccinated. Meyer is not commenting on the video, but did confirm to the East Bay Times that his two-year-old does attend private preschool, adding there are no public options for children her age. As for his teacher vaccination advocacy, here's Meyer at the Berkeley Unified School Board meeting February 3rd, pushing for teacher vaccination so children can safely return to the classroom. Teachers are not asking to jump the line. However, we do know that our community is beyond anxious about the timeline for returning to some form of in-person learning. Many Berkeley students and their families are stressed and suffering. Their teachers are as well. We all know that there is no substitute for being in a safe and healthy classroom. Jonathan Zacherson, founder of Reopen California Schools, told me the video may show hypocrisy, but Meyer isn't alone. I'm not that surprised. Uh, and, you know, he's not the only one that's doing this. There's school board members to politicians, including Gavin Newsom, who have their kids in in-person learning right now uh, when many other students in public school are not. In responding to a KPIX request for a statement, Gorilla Moms told us, we want our schools open today, five days a week, just as city, county, and California public health has said we can safely do today. Other districts around us are open, have been open for months, and intend to move to five days a week. Berkeley children's right to a free public education have been violated for a year. We also reached out to Matt Meyer for comment. We have not heard back. The Berkeley Unified Superintendent points out vaccinations for teachers and staff started last week. And can they hope to eventually have all students involved in this hybrid in-person uh, learning plan by April 19th? They Oops. hope to have <laughs> students involved by April. They hope to have students involved in this hybrid in-person and remote learning by April 19th.
April 19th, so a month and a, more than a month and a half away. Well, I like that the um, person on the video pointed out that this isn't the only uh, instance of hypocrisy that we've seen. And one that he forgot about was the Chicago Teachers Union board member uh, vacationing in Puerto Rico while tweeting uh, opposition to reopening schools in person because we all know it's safe to vacation and travel in person, but it's not safe to go back to work in person in your own town. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because what this is, is the classic, as I've said before on this show, it's the concept of a backroom negotiation. You say one thing publicly, you say another thing privately. And what happens on occasion is the quiet part gets said out loud. Okay. What's being said public is we really want schools to open, but they're just so dangerous. What's happening quietly is some of the same people saying that are doing things that if they really thought it was as dangerous as they're saying in their press releases and their public social media, if they really thought it was as dangerous as they're saying publicly, they wouldn't be going to vacation in Puerto Rico. They wouldn't be dropping their own child off in in-person learning over and over again. The hypocrisy is presents itself. And then they all always scatter and make excuses. And then the other side will say that's an anecdote and that doesn't represent all of the normal terrified teachers to go back to school. And, so, I mean, Bob, th th this is something I was talking to someone on the phone earlier today with uh, earlier today that. You know, there is a ton of scientific evidence showing that you can reopen schools in person safely and that the preponderance of the evidence suggests that schools aren't major contributors to overall community transmission and that this can be done safely, yet we have all the schools closed. But I believe the stronger source of evidence beside all the studies and what's more convincing to your average person is all of these instances of hypocrisy just showing that, well, uh, this person is saying that it's not safe, but then they're sending their own kid person instruction. And then, oh, this other person's traveling and vacationing while at the same time tweeting about why it shouldn't be okay to go back to work. And then, oh, the, the schools are opening. Uh, oh, no, wait, the, the schools can't open for learning because learning is dangerous and getting into in-person classes are dangerous if you're learning, but those same stinking buildings can open for in-person childcare services. And just yeah. and the example same over example. Supermarkets. The same teachers are going to drugstores. The same teachers are going to dry cleaners and auto shops and city halls and all kinds of places with workers who are there every day, not asking for additional money to show up. Those same teachers are going places like Puerto Rico. They're going all over the place, right? And meanwhile, it's we're supposed to trust the science, trust the science, trust the science, but then all this, all these studies contradict their narrative and they just suddenly mums the word, cricket sounds and all the science, right? So suddenly now the science is not the science. It's like, well, now it's about feelings. Do you feel comfortable? Well, that's, that's called a negotiating tactic. Anyway, if I could just pivot to the part about, so that's in California, Berkeley. But then this week on Monday, California Governor Gavin Newsom came out and had this big press conference and this big announcement, and it drove me nuts. I'm, I can, I'm going to scarcely contain myself, Corey, when we talk about this to kick you off it. I'm going to kick you off the air. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm, I can scarcely be trusted at this moment. My blood pressure, if I had a blood pressure thing on, listen, um, he comes out with this grin on his face about, isn't it great all the progress we've made with COVID? Announcing a $6.6 .6 billion plan to do what? 
Give money to the schools with no assurances of in-person education, Oof. with no assurances from teachers that if they're vaccinated, they will show up in person, with not one. In fact, he actually said in the press conference, we'll get to in the second clip, that anyone who's uncomfortable can still not show up, essentially forever. There's a $6.6 billion plan that elicits nothing in return at all. It's a pure giveaway to the unions. But before I get ahead of myself, let's play the first clip where he's asked very directly by a reporter. He's at, he comes out and says, oh, all this data has already been out there. We've presented this data on school safety. And the reporter <laughs> says, I'm looking at your website right now, Governor. I'm actually on your website right now. None of what you've said is on the website. And you get to see what happens. Well, real quick, this reminds me of the Green New Deal first draft where it had the, the clause in there saying that if you're unable or unwilling to work, you'll still have economic security. This is kind of like that. But uh, yeah, let's listen to the Newsome clip now. How many cases there have been at schools that are open? Your administration still has a document online from January 14th instructing for that data. We still don't see the data. So what can you tell us about it? What do you know? Because it seems that that's a big question that people want to know how safe these schools have been that are already open. Yeah, so we have been providing that data on an updated basis, but we have now specifically set aside money in this agreement to hold us to account and to enforce the efforts with more transparency. We've incorporated a strike team with DPH uh, that's working very collaboratively uh, with districts currently. Uh, we've codified that in language, providing tens of millions of dollars for enforcement and oversight and data collection. We put a safely reopening schools hub website up as well a few weeks back uh, as a preview of some of the more dynamic efforts that we'll be putting into place to have more timely reporting of information. There is specific language in this agreement as it relates to reporting 24-hour reporting requirements for any cases it has correction strategies as it relates to multiple outbreaks and what we can and cannot do so we are laying that groundwork very very prescriptively in this legislation just to follow up governor i'm on the website right now under transparency case reporting by schools it's not there so you said it's been released where is it well, the, my point of the legislation is to provide much more detailed and timely information. As it relates to November, December, and January, those numbers are put up. We've been working with the legislature in the last 30 days to put together a completely different framework and strategy with different execution requirements, different criteria, and much more robust transparency, including resources to provide that information in a timely manner. So let me thank you for the follow-up so I can lay that distinction as it relates to what's in this legislation versus what we had in the past. Well, where is it? I'm looking at you. You said, you said it's there. Where is it? Did you hear the first thing he said after that? He goes, well, the purpose of the legislation was, and he goes on this rant about the purpose of the legislation. His question was, where is it? Yeah. You just said it was on there. Anyway, and I also made this list of of things that he said just in that clip alone. This is what Governor Newsom said. I'm, I'm mocking his language. He says, well, fear not, right? I'm here to give a press conference about details of this legislation. What's in it? I'll tell you what's in it. 
incorporated a strike team working very collaboratively, codified that in language, enforcement and oversight and data collection, dynamic efforts, more timely reporting of information, specific language, correction strategies, laying the groundwork very prescriptively, detailed and timely information, completely different framework okay. and strategy, different <laughs> execution requirement. What, this what, is what, just what, what, BS. <laughs> It's just, it's just such blather. It's babble. It's absolute nonsensical babble from this governor and all the press rooms sitting there listening. They go, oh, okay, codified uh, that in language. Okay, no, yeah, this I sounds, see. Uh, yeah. Laying the groundwork. Oh, oh well. Yeah, well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, did you have a response before? And then I'll because we have another clip of him. Well, we What's should get the other clip. But I, okay. I found some new data from Georgetown University that came out today that applies to California. But let's let's get to the. Here's some clip number two. And look, no one's compelling anybody. We, we're creating conditions where we expect in-person instruction. We're going to provide supports, supplementary supports. But people have compromised immune system, people that are not comfortable going back in, be it teachers, uh, be it paraprofessionals, uh, be it classified sports staff, uh, be it kids themselves. Uh, for whatever reason, conditions. Obviously, we're going to be sensitive to all of those issues. And that's why we're providing in-person grants two billion dollars to provide flexibility and that flexibility is not just ventilation it's not just ppe it's not just sanitation it's also personnel to help address those concerns as well second part to that question governor do you anticipate districts then having to look for substitute teachers to fill that void um, until you know numbers progress and teachers start feeling more comfortable in classrooms yeah well, well that's the whole purpose again of this agreement to provide flexibility it's the framework of this agreement has been embraced and has been within the architecture that was originally uh, advanced. And so legislature uh, as well as what we put out. So as it relates to the details, uh, we work through those details and work through them in the spirit of collaboration and cooperation with all of these groups and alphabet soup of groups. Trust me, there are groups and there are groups. We had meeting, conferring back and forth, superintendent, county, local, uh, principals, teachers, uh, people represented, not represented, private charter, the whole spectrum was part of the agreement. And that's just on our side. I can't imagine what the legislature also incorporated. Oh, we talked to all these groups and the teachers union said that if we don't feel comfortable going back to work, well, then we'll, we'll still get the $2 billion and we don't, we won't re yeah. reopen. Them. Did you, did you notice, I'm going to whisper this so no one will hear, but did you notice that this is my microphone? Did you mm. notice that, uh, Parents were not in the list of stakeholders when he oh. said all the people they consulted, they oh. said, we consulted everybody that was pertinent for this mm. deal. Mm. Uh, thanks. Oh, districts, superintendents, all the employees. Teachers. Thank you. That's number one. Number two, notice he said, we're going to protect people with pre-existing conditions, but also people who feel uncomfortable, just even just feeling uncomfortable. He said... <laughs> Would they pay for substitutes? That it's a six point six billion dollar deal, and then here's the third point. Here's the third point. So two billion dollars. This is this is maybe the craziest of all. It's six point six billion. Now this is a deal that Gavin Newsom made with the legislature. So they agreed right on a six point six billion dollar for schools spending plan. Two billion of the six point six was supposed to be incentives. That is extra money. If you open, we give you this extra incentive to open. You know their criterion for the incentives, which was specifically said later in the press conference? Any in-person education. That was the criterion. Yeah. One day a week would satisfy their criterion for their incentive payment. It's not about... Um, it's, it, 
please. Bob, Bob, it's not about it's not about the science. It's not about reopening the school safely. It's it's a cash grab. It's extra money, extra staffing. He alluded to the you know, oh, we may need more employees as well. Hire substitutes for yeah. every teacher who doesn't feel like showing up. All of them. That's it's billions of dollars. But meanwhile, it requires nothing. Did I remember if I said this before already? It requires no concession from uh, the teachers' union. It's the money worst. for nothing. That's it, it, it's a it's a dire straits song from the what is it, the eighties? Money for nothing. Well, it is this, the yeah. same thing that we saw in at, at the federal level with their one hundred and thirty billion dollar additional bailout. They tried to pass an amendment, the Republicans did, to um, require that the schools getting the extra bailout money meant for reopening schools, tie it to actually reopening schools if all teachers are vaccinated, still could not get that passed. So these this $130 billion that's uh, going through Over Congress. Over 70% of that happening after 2022. Oh, yeah. That's an, yeah. Over oh. 70% after <laughs> if, 2022. If it was for opening the schools. So yeah. for opening the schools, then then why only spend five percent of that in the first year in twenty twenty one? Yes, exactly. And then another some twenty five percent in twenty twenty two. The great majority, whatever the great the great majority after twenty twenty. So here's some um, more evidence. Uh, I have some more evidence from Georgetown uh, University. Uh, Mark Porter McGee, who's at, I want to say 50 can, he's the uh, CEO and founder of 50 can tweeted this out today from Georgetown university saying a new analysis by the Georgetown university edunomics lab shows that Los Angeles has saved half a billion dollars by keeping their schools virtual. And here's the little graphic they did. San Francisco saved, you know, 2 million LA 500 million Long Beach, San Diego combined 100 over 100 million. Uh, we've seen other districts save money from from going remote, and one other district uh, in particular in the Chicago area gave property taxpayers a refund because they had surplus funding. Because when you go remote, your costs are lower than if you of are course. providing in person instruction. Of yeah, course, you- no, no, no cafeteria food, no cafeteria workers, no bus drivers, no bus gasoline and maintenance and all, all kinds of expenses go away if you're purely remote. Yet you have in California another additional two billion dollars to get the schools open, and you have all of these uh, union officials arguing that they need more money to get the schools open. But look, you're spending less money that. You spent less money last year than than previously. You should have extra extra cash to reopen the schools, and um, you know we're already giving them billions and billions of dollars through federal stimulus, and now you have California Newsom, Governor Newsom, not tying it to reopening, but providing an additional two billion dollars to to quote unquote reopen the schools, but not actually require that to happen five days a week. Yes, and it's in it's in that basically the, the the April first is the day that you qualify for. You can, in other words, you can still have no school for, you know, the next for you know all of March uh, basically a, still. So that's that's, a, that's most of a whole month away, and then you can go to one day a week, and then you're eligible for the incentives, as I said before. But let me just finish by saying this about the California, which is that which is that I would have come on this show and ranted like a maniac if the deal had been, hey, we're going to hand over this bucket full of money to the teachers union for them to agree to work five days a week. Okay, Mm -hmm. I would have said, 
well, how come uh, grocery store workers aren't getting extra money to just do the normal job? Nurses, nurses and hospitals aren't getting extra money to do their normal job. City hall workers aren't getting extra money to do their normal job. Why should this one sector get extra money to do their normal job? But it's worse than that because they're not even required to do their normal job. They're giving them the money. Yeah, I mean, no, no. That. Does private school get additional money to, to reopen in person? Do, yeah, grocery stores have been open all along. Liquor stores, are they getting, you know, uh, double the money, let's, extra, extra let's money? Let's pay them more to wait and see if they decide that they want to work in person. That's yeah, and, what and, this is. And and perhaps there are some, there's there are, you know, PayPal protection uh, or the um, PPP loans and stuff going to businesses. But I'd imagine they're using it and reopening their doors so that they can get more customers and, and continue their business. They're not getting the money and then keeping their doors closed. I mean, it's well, a different, that, that's even, a, on a federal, but yeah, but I, this California thing is utterly above and beyond that. So, well, anyway, and they, pick, so. they picked a perfect date for it because, you know, um, when, when the date comes up and they're supposed to reopen, they'll say, ah, just kidding. April yeah. fools. We, we were yeah. just giving you the 2 billion just to, to open. Everybody thought it was to, to open, but you know, we're just, you know, Nah, yeah, we, we didn't actually mean that. <laughs> okay, so did you want to do a story next, or or what yeah, yeah. Okay. While we're on, while we're on the reopening schools and how it's unscientific to keep them closed, well, uh, someone got ratioed on Twitter. You were part of this. I was part of this. <laughs> but the person at the um, forefront of all this was the president of the American Federation for Teachers, Randy Weingarten. Oh, look, look at CDC guidelines. Based on the CDC guidelines, uh, New York Times and, and CDC are saying that only 4% of the nation's schools should be open. Um, and then she adds on her commentary, should anywhere be fully open? A lot of people exactly. responded by saying yes. Exactly. And then other people responded by saying, oh, look, Randy's acting, acting like she had no part in the CDC changing its course yes. after, after she and Becky Pringle the heads of the two largest teachers unions in the United in the United States met with the administration uh, right before these uh, met with the CDC director and this and the CDC right before these uh, changes happened. Oh, because and obviously, Randy Weingarten and Becky Pringle are scientists, and if the CDC, a science based medical organization, the Centers for Disease Control, is going to make policy based on healthcare science. You've got to meet with Randy Weingarten, the nation's expert in epidemiology. Yeah. Well, and and a lot of people responded saying that it was un um, uh, unprofessional or just outright outright uh, unscientific for the New York Times to share this because this is only based on community transmission rates overall. Whereas people were pointing out that the CDC said that you don't look at one uh, metric by itself. You have to look at all the metrics together and, and, and the things that are in place. Like if you're masking, for example, perhaps you'll be more likely to be able to reopen. But they were only looking at one metric and creating this map, making it look like only 4% based on CDC guidelines can reopen, which, which isn't even true, according to a lot of people commenting on this. I commented all over the place pointed out how Jake, Jake Tapper even pointed out that the unions had something to do with this and that uh, he yeah, he was disappointed because Fauci had been saying this and the CDC themselves have said, and I quote, there has been little, little evidence that schools have contributed, 
contributed meaningfully to increase community transmission. And Tapper points out, well, well, if that's the case, why give schools that opt not to open up? Yeah. My whole thing on that Randy Weingarten treat was normally they have had a message. They've had a pretty consistent message so far. It's been like this. We would love the schools to be reopened. But we just need to be paid billions of dollars to get all of the PPE and all of the distancing and all that. If we just only had that, we would love, we think schools can be reopened. We, we really want to go forward with this. Just give us the money to make it possible. Now she accidentally flips. It basically gives you an insight of what that meeting with the CDC director must've been like. If, if Randy Weingarten can read that report that says, don't take one metric and from that extrapolate an entire school non-opening policy. And you see her literally do that right there in the tweet. It's, it's a window into, into the spin that was no doubt the case with the CDC director. And so, yes. Yeah, so she, it, it, basically, I think she made a just even tactical error in terms of messaging. She had that messaging of, no, we really, really want schools to open. But then in that in that, there we go. There we go. Your goal of remaining closed for the foreseeable future is helping push more families to homeschooling, micro schools, private schools, and charter schools. Keep it going. So while the district closures are terrible in the short term for millions of kids, it does have an upside, Randy. Yeah, Randall. keep it. Keep it going. Keep going, Randy. Keep keep digging yep. that. Keep digging the hole further and further. Yep. She she uh you know she betrayed the fact in that tweet. She really doesn't want schools open. She's kind of saying, oh, look, 96%, it's too too dangerous in 96% of the places. Should Even any though, of the schools be open? Should any? Yeah. <laughs> Even though right now in America, 35% of districts, there's a new AEI website. I don't know if you saw that. It tracks the percentage mm -hmm. of districts mm -hmm. that are open, fully open, fully remote, or hybrid. 35% are fully open, a third. So Randy Weingarten's saying 4% meet her criteria for being open. Well, you got about 31% of, I don't know if it's by population or school count, but about a third of the country where they probably are open and there's probably no additional COVID spread. And so these parents maybe are seeing that tweet from Randy and wondering, gee, that's funny. I wonder why Randy says uh, most schools should stay closed, but ours has been open with no problem. <laughs> Absolutely, especially in places like Florida, and uh, I have family back in Texas, and uh, yeah, the schools are reopening a lot, a uh, lot more so there than than in other parts of the country. Okay, so we can, so can we talk about Texas? You're giving me a segue. Let's go, Texas. You know, the governor, Governor Abbott, came out and said, "Hey, let's just open everything up again." He's like, "I know we closed stuff down back in October again, but let's just open everything up again." People went everything. crazy on Twitter. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> People went crazy calling him, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be blood on his hands, all kinds of stuff. Just, they went berserk on the Texas governor for calling for reopenings. But what we've seen, there we have, look at that. That's yeah. pretty clear, hey, isn't it? Hey, 320,000 likes though, 320,000. Yeah. I think he was looking at DeSantis in Florida, see, getting all this yeah. shine for staying for, for Florida's uh, choices. And he's like, I want a little bit of that. So anyway... <laughs> That's the, all the debate in Texas has now shifted. You know, they're debating all those reopenings in California. They're not in Texas. They're debating co something completely different. All the whole society in Texas, the whole state is now debating a different thing. They're just debating, do we wear masks? Yeah, how do we do it? Yeah, we're going to be open. How do we do it? Let's check out the clip. 
All right, so there's mixed reaction to this morning from Texas parents. We've asked uh, the, what the governor's new order is going to mean for our children's schools. KPRC 2's Vincent Crivelli is live in Sugarland with some of the school district's responses on this. Vince? Lisa, good morning. Two major school districts in our area already put out statements saying masks will still be, requ still be required in the classroom, although other districts in our area are awaiting guidance from the Texas Education Agency. Every Governor Greg Abbott says open, it's time to fully open Texas and open. end the mask mandate next Wednesday. However, what will that mean for our children and schools? HISD and Fort Bend ISD say they won't be returning to business as usual and masks will still be required. But other districts, including Pearland, Conroe, Alvin, Spring, Tomball and Klein say they're waiting for guidance from the Texas Education Agency. Although parents were quick to share their opinions. I don't think that they should re revoke, uh, repeal all of the uh, uh, CDC guidelines and take away the mask mandate completely. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that the governor decided to do that. We're just starting to basically get everything rounded up slowly. This Fort Bend parent says it's too risky for any student to be in a classroom without a mask. They can bring it home, give it to the parents, give it to the grandparents, and that can just like... That that's that's a slippery slope right there. But not every parent we spoke with felt the same. Kids, you know, they're not they don't get it as bad, I guess, if they do get it. So I'm just not really concerned about it. Zeb Coppa with the American Federation of Teachers says he's heard concerns from teachers about being in class with no masks. They will have uh, 12, 15, 20 plus students in their room who may or may not necessarily be masking at this particular point if we don't have good policy at the local level. So the big question right now, when will the Texas Education Agency put out some kind of guidance? Well, officials there told us it's coming by the end of the week. Go Texas. So it's, like, it's like a different <laughs> universe. Everyone, they're not even talking about reopening being dangerous. They're just discussing masks. The whole conversation shifted. It's like, it's like, <laughs> Is it a different disease or on a different planet or something? Like, no, it's not even debated there, the reopening. Oh, maybe people are starting to figure out, hey, man, it's been about a year. This is a year. It's like, it's March. Come on. Um, I mean, yeah. Like, so that's, that's really interesting that that happened in Texas. And then just today, did you see the news out of Arizona? I did from, Arizona, from you. Another, another Corey exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Doug Ducey, governor of Arizona, just announced uh, earlier today, like an hour or two hours before this podcast, that a new he, he is issuing a new executive order, which is live now, requiring public schools to offer in-person instruction by March 15th, which, which is in less than two weeks, or if they have a spring break at that time after spring break. And you can find the full executive order at the governor's website. Um Right here, it's too small to read on the screen, obviously. But he has different kind of um, orders based on the, the the counties with the higher versus lower transmission. For the lower transmission, he says that all the schools need to be open. But for counties with uh, the highest levels of transmission, the, the elementary should still be open in person. The middle and high schools that are already open should continue to do so. Um and if, if a school has not already opened in person, the school may operate virtually uh, for, for counties in the highest, for middle and high schools in the highest transmission areas. But in general, his ex executive order is 
reopen the dang schools. Man, it is one red state thing, isn't it? Like it's I I know Arizona went for Biden in 2020, but I mean, in general, in general, it's you know, you're this is where you're seeing that. You know, they asked Newsom of California, Governor Newsom, the exact same question. Will you like in Texas and Florida at any point? Can you see yourself just ordering the schools open? He would not say that. He wouldn't say at any point. He would not say at any point that he would order the schools open. And so, boy, the politics are. Makes me think of a study done by one Corey DeAngelis about politics and school closures. Oh, uh, an update on that study. It um, it just got accepted at Social Science Quarterly. For those who are not familiar, this is the study that I did with uh, Christos Macridis from MIT. And we found using several different data, uh, multiple data sets and multiple methods and multiple measures of uh, teachers union influence that places with stronger teachers unions a lot less likely to reopen the schools in person. Meanwhile, the reopening decisions of the school districts were not correlated with COVID risk as measured by COVID cases per capita and COVID deaths per capita. So this is all about, seems to be like it's all about politics and power, not so much about safety. We also found that places that, uh, that the reopening decisions were also separately uh, explained by the partisanship in the area, places that had more, that the more blue areas were less likely to reopen the schools in person, all else equal. So that'll be despite, social despite, Yeah, despite a lot of people saying that, uh, you know, uh, arguably there's an income correlation where it hits low income parents harder, the school closures. And yet in general, some of the, some of the areas, the cities that, you know, are generally more blue politically uh, are the ones who are closed more. Yeah. And you just uh, talked about Gavin Newsom. We already talked about California earlier, but you got to see this video. And Bob, have you have you seen this video from Los Angeles Unified School District? It's no. everybody, the, the, the number one word that people use to describe this, just looking through the comments and looking through the, the, the quote tweets, people that this is dystopian, this video. And I kept looking to see if you know, when I first, there wasn't a source like a to, to the video on a, a state website or anything. So I thought it was fake. I thought this was a fake video uh, because it just seems so out of touch. And and like people said, dystopian. It seemed really You're weird. You're saying this was actually released by LAUSD, the district. Yes. The district released yeah. it. Okay. It's All on right. their website too. If you go to my tweets, you can actually get to the video on the Los Angeles Unified School District website in California. All right. Um, so I, I I'm ready. Sources. Check it out. Okay. There's never been anything like this virus in our lifetime. Often, it's hard to see the effects it's having on our children. Has this conversation taken place in your home? Mom, I'm scared about going back to school. I don't want to get sick, and I don't want to get you and Dad sick. <laughs> Our scientists tell us there are three things we must do to stay safe. Wear masks, make sure we social distance, and wash our hands. And now, your school, with the help of Microsoft Corporation, has created another. Introducing Daily Pass, your exclusive ticket for safely going back to school. Each week, you can schedule your free on-campus COVID test. The results are displayed in your Daily Pass. And if you choose to take your test off campus, you can post the results in your daily pass. And the moment vaccinations are available, you'll simply be able to schedule yours through your daily pass. But the real magic is your daily health check. Just answer a few simple health questions every day, and like magic, your entrance ticket appears. 
Welcome back. Welcome to school. So, how did it go? Dad, I have to admit, I was scared at first, but then I felt so safe. It was so good to be back. Thanks for keeping me safe. I love you so much. Dude, that music. <laughs> Dude, what are your so initial what, thoughts? <laughs> well, I mean, first, like, I, you know, I'm sort of a... You know, I'm not a, I'm not what you'd call an anti-vaxxer. I think, you know, vaccines have been useful or all kinds of polio and all kinds of ways. And I haven't decided about this one yet. Uh, that's, but I do. And I do think that there are, obviously there are some schools that have medical records about kids. I think what's different here is the fact that it's become, that it would be this online database that then could theoretically be accessed, hacked by somebody, sold to pharmaceutical, who knows? Like that, I think, is the part is this big brother tracking children in online databases and their health information. That's the part that I think is chilling. Not, not obviously, some kids have medical problems schools need to keep track of and need to know about and maybe need to keep medicine in the nurse's office in case a kid has this or that problem. So medical records at school are not new or to me inherently scary it's the online tracking part what i don't know what was your response yeah same here it just seemed i i, I don't know it just it didn't sit with me well with the music and it's like it's trying to act like this is such a great thing that we're going to be tracking all this information and you know just a like a, a billion step plan in order to go to school every day i gotta print out this pass every day what if i don't have a printer what if my printer doesn't work Oh, yeah. um, it just seems like a lot of steps just to get kids back into school. It seems assumed that it's going to be required for all of the kids to get vaccinated or in order to go back to school. Yeah, um, that's true. It seems like it a does. lot of testing. Uh, it does. So I, I don't know. It just it, And then like the beginning where it was like, you know, uh, portrayed the kid as being extremely frightened to go to go to school. And it, it seemed oh, like yeah. to, to play on the fear mongering a lot. Like, yeah. And then at the end, oh, thank you so much, dad. I mean, oh, I, I'm, I'm glad you care about me. I was so freaking scared to go back to school. And I don't know, like, if that's the general sense with with children. I think a lot of them want to get back yeah. to school. Um, so, yeah. It, now it, that it Pfizer just... and Merck have a permanent database on my DNA for the rest of my life. Thanks, dad. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it just seemed weird. And I know there are um, required vaccinations for, for different types of diseases, but we don't have a requirement for the flu shot, for example. Um, yeah. and, I, I, and I'm with you. I'm not sure whether, it should, whether the, the COVID uh, vaccination should be required for kids. All, all I know at this point is it's not none of the vaccines are even approved for kids under the age of 16, I want to say. None of the vaccines. So, absolutely. I mean, it's assuming that this is gonna this is gonna be a requirement as as it's portrayed in the video. And it, yeah, it just seemed like a really strange uh, dystopian video. Yeah, the music I think does a lot <laughs> yeah, of the I weirdness. Mean, I mean, it's like it's like we know it's such a bad idea that that we're gonna provide all of this happy go lucky music, and that's gonna convince everybody that's a great idea. 
you know, yeah, I, I mean, that's it what it feels like a manipulation, like a psychological manipulation of the viewer to be like, oh, look, the love of the and child the, comes. The if you only conform. Yeah. Yes. If you conform to our dictates that hands your all kinds of private medical information over to giant databases, love will come back to you. Your daughter will love you if you comply. Just we just need you to comply automatically and immediately. Anyway, um, well, you know, what about what, what about the kids that don't have a printer at home? And, you know, other people could say, oh, well, you could add the barcode on your phone. But what about elementary kids that might not have the bar, like might not, might not have a cell phone every day? So, I mean, uh, it, yeah, it, it was just uh, extremely weird. Right. But in, in our remaining moments, so this is maybe an inverted show. We maybe should have started with the national news. Instead, we're ending with the national news. But Miguel Cardona, who is now confirmed and is the education secretary of the United States, uh, did a commentary in USA Today today and wrote about a five-point plan to get students back in school full-time. I don't know if you have reaction to this. My, I, my eyes basically went right to number five. All the others where I was kind of like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Basically, number summit. five. Yeah, yeah. Have a summit meeting. Like, oh, oh yeah. geez. We got to do a million really things to, to oh, get yeah, things. Oh, yeah, sure. Up. We only had more summit meetings. That's yeah, like, oh. uh, That'll save us all. But we get to look finally and most importantly, he gets to item number five. Schools need financial help to reopen classrooms uh. safely. They do. He cites again this $130 billion thing, that, a federal plan that we just mentioned is the third federal COVID school Jeez. spending allocation. And the third one, as we said, 70%, over 70% of the money is spent 2023 all, through All the way through 28. Yes. So, he, uh, oh, and, and what if everybody's vaccinated? Well, we just still, fi finally and most importantly, we need to spend money on when COVID may have left planet Earth. There may not be any yeah. COVID at all anywhere on the planet. The Spanish, the Spanish flu in 1918 was gone in two to three years without any vaccine at all. It was a hunt. It had left, it had left mankind. And yet he, this to him is most important, fifth and most important, spend billions of dollars, even if we're spending it after COVID is gone. I keep repeating myself, but I'm sorry. What were we going to say? Yeah, I liked Neil McCluskey's uh, response the best. <laughs> a five-point plan? A summit? Give me a break. <laughs> Neil says, the, the science on COVID in schools has been clear for months. Schools nationwide have opened and things are moving. This is policy theater and should be ignored. I mean, yeah, this like really you're gonna do a summit and oh, let's let's uh, oh, we need 130 billion, but oh, actually we are only spending five percent of that this year. So I love it, policy theater, <laughs> policy theater. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, we need to have a summit, right? Because that because because <laughs> unless they get together in some expensive hotel and have yeah, you know, exactly, have us and, pay for it, have the taxpayer yeah, have pay lobster for it. on the taxpayer. Yeah, unless they do that, we'll be adrift. From our, you know, without our federal overlords having lobster on our taxpayer printed money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that that's my initial response to this. I don't know if you had anything else, but I do have one more story. Go, go. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So today, another breaking news from today was uh, in Albuquerque Public Schools, there's an attorney in Albuquerque, New Mexico, or attorneys filing a lawsuit against Albuquerque Public Schools in New Mexico for keeping schools closed for in-person instruction. And what's interesting here in this lawsuit, they're calling for the district to allow its 90,000 students to take their education dollars elsewhere. And just yeah. a couple of quotes from the article that I found. 
which is at uh, kob.com. Quote, accusations of civil rights violations have been filed against the Albuquerque Public School Board of Education on behalf of students who cannot return to in-person learning. Attorneys are seeking as much as $1.8 billion, which would wow. work, if you do the math on that, it's about $20,000 per child, on wow. behalf of the district's nearly 90,000 students to cover private school tuition, citing constitutional guarantees to an adequate education. They're essentially saying if, you, if you're not opening the schools and kids are failing, this year in disproportionate numbers, you're not actually providing an adequate education as outlined in our state constitution. Open the schools or give us our money back. And I mean, from what I can tell, I didn't look this up, but 20,000 a kid seems a lot more than what they spend on, on. Oh, in New Mexico. Yeah. New Mexico is a, is a, you know, low cost of living state. Yeah. So, so I'm thinking they're, they're probably calling for one, a reimbursement for all the losses that occurred already. So maybe a $10,000 for this year and then $10,000 for, for 2021 or 2022. And so that would get you to the 20, uh, the 20,000 per student, but maybe it's, there's other costs in there as well. I didn't look into the, um, lawsuit itself, but here is the, article that that pointed this out at KOB4 News. Civil rights claim seeks 1.8 billion or in-person schooling. Open up or give me my money and let me go somewhere else. I just, the way it's framed though, I would just rather than just ask for the money straight up. Because when you say, or if you open that, now you, now the door is opened to them saying, oh, well, yeah, we'll open one day a month. Or we'll open one and a half days every two months. Uh, You you then create this shell game where they can- Bob, we're we're open, but we're just open, fully remote open. Yeah, I mean that's that's it's what open. happened in California yeah, I mean, with the with the with the one day a week, right? So <laughs> it's uh, and the other thing too is, I mean, again, I hope they win. I I love you know I there's plenty of lawsuits that I've rooted for, but there's also something sickening about education policy being determined by these big lawsuits where all yeah. these lawyers and judges are up there, like, and then they get appealed and you wait another eight months for the appeal and all this stuff. Like it's 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 who thinks that's the right way to manage? anything is is through judges and lawsuits like it's it's inherently slow it's inherently it's so often ignores the rights of individuals because they're making some sort of split the baby decision for you know all of the interests involved and, and it, it's instead of respecting individual differences anyway I'm 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 sickened by same, how much at lawsuits the, at yeah. the same time the government is not providing their constitutionally required adequate education this past year. And, and essentially, yeah. most they of should the just states, ask for the money, though. That's, a, a, uh, that, that's my other point. That was my first point. Yeah. But um, I do. Anyway, I'm thinking we got to get you Bluetooth headphones, man. You got the wire. You I always know. got the wire. Yeah. I have so much stuff hooked up over here. I, I've, I'm actually going to get a new camera. So, oh, that's the see, viewers. That's that's going to be that's going to be. I have a, a webcam right now, but uh, in the future, we'll have a high quality picture um, uh, going forward if it ever gets here. But uh, yeah, I, I would like a. If you want to give me a new headset, Bob, that's great too. But I had I had one more update. I actually do um, have an extra one. I got this one here. It's like it's an extra. Hey, send answer. it over. Yeah. Send it over. Yeah, right. <laughs> but one one more update was um, something that you had been nagging me about for the past two weeks. Add Wisconsin oh. to the map. <laughs> there it is. 
ladies and gentlemen, I can't believe it. It's a, it's a miracle. It's a springtime miracle. Wisconsin's been added. But you know what I have to say now? Do you know what I have to say now? This is a regular feature on the show. You've got to put Wyoming in. I sent another link with with a link to legislation about the great state of Wyoming. You're ahead now of the game, man. I know. I, I finally, I finally, no. I feel heard. I feel heard on Wisconsin. And yet... The good people so of Wyoming Wyoming's, waiting. Wyoming's bill is a little weird, though. It is based on – it is a reimbursement instead of a um, – you know, you could just take your children's education dollars. Also, you got to pay for the private school tuition, and then you get reimbursed afterwards. I mean, I guess it still is a – it's just a different type of – do you get the money before, before or after? But I think it – I have to look into that bill a little more. I, I think that was the state where there was this, another – piece of it too where where yes i I believe this is the state that i looked into where all of the kids in private schools will be counted in the public school enrollment as a result of this bill so yes you could take your money elsewhere but the public school still gets to count you in your enrollment and all the kids who are already paying for private school out of top pocket and feet out of pocket thousands of kids that would now be counted on the Wyoming public school as well so it it looks great for school choice but it but it looks like you're now paying for kids in two places if, if i got this bill wrong and it's the wrong state and i'm looking at a different state well you were right about the reimbursement that part yeah. is correct i'm so looking think, at it now from our our wy school choice twitter feed w the you know choice media has 50 state-based twitter feeds usually Ooh. with the first with the two-letter initials and then the word school choice, the word school choice, or the two-letter state initial with an underlined school choice. At any rate, this is WY School Choice on Twitter. And yes, it is a reimbursement. You're absolutely right about that. It is up to 50% of the state money that would have otherwise been spent in your local district school if you instead choose private school options for your kid. Uh, but as far as that other part where uh, this, I guess you're saying the district still gets paid, I don't know about that part. I would still say this deserves love from the Education Freeman yeah, Freedom I Institute. It. All right, I'm um, adding it. <laughs> okay. And I, well, might ladies and gentlemen, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. So okay. No, everyone listening, read the bill yourself or look at my Twitter afterwards to, to tune get in back next with week. Me. Tune in next week, everyone, for the random assignment update on Wyoming. And for but for now, I'm Bob Bowden of Choice Media. He is Corey D'Angelo of the Reason Foundation and all social media. We'll see you next week.